This is The Industry. A show built by the working class for the working class. If you have a job, this is the podcast for you. Here is your host, Levi Jett. Welcome back to the Industry Podcast. My name is Levi Jett. Thank you so much for joining us. This week we have really, 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 really big news. Uh, We have a co-host for the show now, and his name is Daniel Chismar. He comes to us from Case FMS with uh, some years of experience in the industry, snow, land, and sweeping. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Levi. I'm excited to be here. I figured that's about all I get from you. All right. So this week, um, shaping up to be quite the week before Christmas, uh, we have a major, major storm that is going to take aim on the central U.S. and maybe even portions of the eastern U.S. late this week, uh, just ahead of Christmas Eve. Accompanying this storm, We'll have uh, a lot of snow, a tremendous amount of wind, and some of the coldest temperatures uh, potentially ever recorded in December uh, throughout a lot of different places. So a lot of different moving parts with this system, uh, but definitely going to make for an interesting week as we head into the holiday. Uh, So today's episode... We will be joined by Frank Lombardo, uh, President and CEO of WeatherWorks Meteorology Consulting, later in the show. And we will also have our standard WeatherWorks update a little later in the show, too. I'm sure that they'll uh, be talking about the winter storm and trying to give us some extra insight uh, with their update. So, Dan, you've worked many winter storms Um Looking at this storm, what in particular stands out to you? Uh, really, the cold temperatures. It's going to be brutally cold out there, and it's going to be cold quick. Um, it's not going to be a situation where, you know, it's kind of slow to linger the temperature on. It's going to be ice cold immediately, which is going to cause a lot of issues. Um, it's going to have a lot of flash freezing. It's going to happen, which is going to be brutal. In some of the areas, it's going to start as rain and transition to snow which is going to hurt too because we're not going to be able to pre-treat like you would want to because material is just going to wash away. So it's it's going to be a challenging storm for sure. So you mentioned flash freezing. For those that aren't really familiar with the term, maybe we got some listeners that don't typically deal with winter weather. What is flash freezing? Flash freezing is when temperatures get really cold really quick. And so the ground temperatures get super cold and it's going to freeze almost instantly. So it's not going to be a thing where like a normal day, you know, you'll have your heat of the sun and then temperature gets a little colder throughout the night. And that's you really when you get your freezing with temperatures going that cold, it's going to be like, I mean, really with temperatures being that cold, you're not going to be able to salt because the salt's not going to work. So it's just going to leave icy conditions basically instantly. And then we're going to put snow on top of that. So even once you are able to get the snow plowed, you're all that hard pack that you have built down there it's going to have a bunch of ice in it too and it's going to be really hard to get the salt to work so it's going to make for really challenging plowing conditions yeah and i think with the flash freezing temps dropping that fast 
really going to allow the snow that comes in right behind it. The setup is going to be heavy, heavy rain changing on a dime to snow. And accompanying this system is going to be uh, very, very strong winds. Uh, almost straight out of the north. This is going to help with the rapid cooling. And you're really going to have to end up watching just how fast temperatures fall um, each hour. Because, it, you know, it could be 5 to 10 degrees in an hour, um, hour after hour after hour. And, you know, you have places like Houston, Texas, for instance, that before the storm comes through, they're going to be at around 40 to 50 degrees. And once that air gets far enough south, they're looking at you know, negative temperatures. Um, so just to show you how quick that's going to go. Now, with the wind, with the flash freezing, uh, we're also going to be talking about a plowable event from northern Oklahoma um, through parts of Kansas, maybe Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa, parts of Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and then really talking about some serious, serious snow uh, when you get into the northern half of Illinois, Indiana. Uh, then you get into parts of Michigan and Wisconsin. And so far, it looks like the bullseye is really kind of centered over uh, Lake Michigan with places like Milwaukee, Chicago, Grand Rapids, and the upper peninsula of Michigan just really getting slammed. This is really going to be the first plowable event that majority of the Midwest has seen uh, so far this year, which kind of just adds another layer of challenges onto it. Uh, Dan, you know as well as anybody that once you have that first storm, uh, you know, you're, you're really kind of hoping it's a, maybe a two to four inch storm um, just to see what you have on a smaller scale, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, you're really hoping that you're just going to get that small event, just enough snow to make it plowable, kind of give you an idea of response time and things like that. Um, just kind of the quality of work you're going to get out of providers. Um, something like this, it's such a major event that it's going to be, really, it's going to be a crapshoot of what you're going to get. Um, it's just going to be super important to make sure everybody's prepared, they're weather aware, and that all equipment, they're doing their checks on their equipment now. Because um, with the temperatures being that cold, you're going to have equipment failures, you're going to have issues arise there, you're going to have staffing issues. It's just about planning as well as you can and... You know, I always say plan for the worst and hope for the best. I mean, in a storm like that, that's really kind of the strategy you got to use. Sure. And just to add some further clarity, when we're talking about these temperatures, we're not talking about, you know, low 20s, teens and single digits. We're talking about sub-zero actual temps um, over very large portions of the country. And then adding in the wind chill on top of that, uh, we're looking at places with a wind chill of, you know, negative 30 to negative 35 in places like Springfield, Missouri, negative 40 to 50s throughout the plains and the uh, northern Midwest. And when you get temps like that, it's not just tough on the equipment and not just tough on your operation. It's also tough on the people out there uh, working in the snow. Something that you really have to watch throughout this event, your field teams are not going to be as flexible as you're used to them being. Uh, we're talking when you factor in the winds, when you factor in the snow, uh, you know the visibility is going to be low. These are blizzard conditions and the cold doesn't help anything. This is really going to start to take its toll on your field team, on, on the people 
that are going around to check up on your sites to see progress being made. They're not going to be able to fly all over a city or a county or half of a state. They are going to be fairly limited in their ability to travel, not just because of visibility, but these types of conditions often lead to road closures, massive wrecks and pileups that um, really just prevent travel. And I'm saying all this because it's this type of storm is just as important as any, but you know, even more so to make sure that you have people that are using their app the way they're supposed to use an app. An app is something that everyone is required um, to have these days. And, you know, some providers are lucky enough to be able to use four or five of them. But it's really important to take those pictures, to take the before pictures, to take the after pictures, to really give your customer uh, the visibility because they're going to be limited on how they're going to get that otherwise. And if you're able to document uh, the progress you're making on these sites, it's going to help keep escalations down and it's going to be your best friend too, when it comes to liability. Um, Because something else you're going to deal with in this storm is holiday shoppers, right, Dan? Oh yeah, no, it, it, everybody, I mean, I know I'm guilty of it just as much Um, last second shoppers. You're going to have people who weren't even planning on going out until Friday to Christmas shop. And then you're going to have people who are just trying to pick up those last few couple things. Um, we all know people don't really pay attention to the weather like they should. Um, so you're going to have a lot of people that's going to catch them by surprise. And they're still going to want to go out and shop and do what they got to do. And it just increases. Increased traffic is going to be just more of a safety hazard. Um you're just going to have to really start paying attention to what you're doing, um, making sure that, you know, your guys are out there being vigilant um, just to make sure that, you know, there's no injuries or pedestrians in the way of stuff. That, that's going to be vital here. Something else, I kind of piggyback off what you said earlier um, about app usage. App usage is huge. You know, you've got to be make sure you're using the app before and after pictures in a storm like this are huge because the drifting snow with the winds blowing so heavy. Snow is going to drift. I mean, it, there, I've seen situations and storms before where somebody will be out and 30 minutes later, it looks like they haven't done anything. And so that's why it's so vital to make sure you guys are using the apps that you have to show the work you've done. Um, and I think it's also responsibility to educate the customer. In a storm like this, customers need to be educated on what to expect. It's going to be blizzard-like conditions. Um, you know, it's not, I mean, any people in the snow industry, anybody who's been out and plowed, um, it's a tough job. But you don't have superpowers. You can only travel as fast as the roads are going to let you travel. Um, this is one of those situations where I'd be prepping customers for long ETAs to let them know, hey, you know, normally if I can get somebody out there in 30 minutes, I mean, it's going to be a couple hours before we can get people out in something like this. You're going to have this storm like this is going to shut down major highways. It's going to shut down interstates. Like it's, it travel is going to be a challenge. So just making sure that you're setting those proper expectations with the customers. So they kind of understand what they're going to be looking for. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I call this storm kind of like a crazy old man storm because you have, you know, these customers that uh, kind of like you said, you know, they're, they're just not well educated in what snow removal looks like and what it's going to be. Their expectations may be a little too high for a storm like this. And I'm not saying that people should go out and plan on their provider failing by any stretch of the imagination, nor am I saying the provider should be like, Hey, uh, these guys said it's okay to fail. No, we didn't. 
the point is that if the provider's on site and it doesn't look like much is being done, you have to take into account how fast is that snow falling? How hard is that wind blowing? If he's making a pass, is it immediately covered with snow? Because the crazy old men out there are going to say, hey, you know, you guys are failing. You guys are behind. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Um, but like you said, there's only so much that really can be done. Uh, and if you have the proper equipment allocated uh, to the site, you know, you, you should be able to do some good work for sure. Uh, but there are going to be times during a storm like this where it seems like you may be falling behind or the snow might be kind of overtaking you. Uh, but that's to be expected to a certain extent. Yeah, it is for sure. And, and it's something that, I mean, it's all about being that advocate for your provider. Um, you, you've got to advocate for the providers, set those proper expectations. I mean, it's a partnership. It can't be a one-way street. You know, you can't be in a situation where you're screaming at a provider, you know, Hey, I need you out here in 30 minutes and you've got eight inches of snow on the ground. You know, I mean, it's just all about educating the customer and advocating. I, I think those are the two most important things from like a management company side of view is that, you know, you need to be educating customers on what's going on what to expect and then, you know, communicating with the providers and advocating for them, showing that, Hey, they are on site getting the work done. All right. Now let's kick it over to Weatherworks, and uh, they'll be giving us an update on the weather coming in and may be able to add some clarity to this forecast. Um, and then on the flip side, we'll be checking in with Frank Lombardo. Thanks, Levi. I'm Mike Mahalik, Senior Meteorologist at WeatherWorks Consulting Meteorologist and host of the Weather Lounge podcast. Today is Tuesday, December 20th. At the end of last week, we had a storm spread copious amounts of snow from northern PA through upstate New York and into Maine with significant plowable snowfall. In some cases, especially in the Adirondacks, amounts reached and surpassed a foot. While we had snow in northern New England, a significant amount of ice occurred along the spine of the Appalachians through Pennsylvania down into western Virginia, causing hazardous travel right down the I-81 corridor and plenty of de-icing activity. On the backside of the system, snow fell as far west as Minnesota and Wisconsin, with plowable amounts through both states even topping a foot closer to Lake Superior and into the arrowhead of Minnesota. As the storm exited last weekend, cold air flooded over the Great Lakes, bringing heavy lake effect snow to the typical snow belts of Michigan and downwind of Lakes Erie and Ontario. This week, a rainstorm will track through the south into Florida Tuesday and Wednesday. Then all eyes will be on a strong low pressure system, which will dive out of the Rockies and strengthen over the plains and into the Ohio Valley on Thursday. This will bring a large swath of plowable snowfall, from Missouri through Michigan, with amounts once again around a foot or over a foot in the Great Lakes. Meanwhile, on the East Coast and into the Northeast, mainly rain will fall on Friday, but there will be strong gusty winds and even a squall line of thunderstorms along the cold front. Some wind damage will be possible as a result. Behind the front, though, temperatures will crash well below freezing, and a flash freeze is likely in areas that saw mainly rain. For those in the snow and ice industry, you're not out of the woods on the East Coast, with salting activity likely due to that quick 
drop in temperatures. Around the entire system, travel delays are expected Thursday into Friday as winds will be very strong, likely delaying flights for the holidays for many airports in the northeast quarter of the country. Behind the storm, a sprawling high-pressure system will dive into the plains, dropping temperatures below zero from Montana southeast into parts of the Ohio Valley. In fact, some places likely dip to 20 to 30 below zero Friday and Saturday mornings in the northern plains. Meanwhile, temperatures will even crash into the 20s from Texas along the Gulf Coast into northern Florida. The cold will continue to grip the eastern half of the country through the holiday weekend, but things will gradually quiet down weather-wise, with the exception of lake-effect snow and some snow pushing through the northern Rockies. It's quite an eventful week of weather. Levi, back to you. Welcome back to the industry. Normally, I thank the WeatherWorks team after the first break um, for their weekly update, but I've got their boss on with us this week, uh, President and CEO of WeatherWorks Consulting Meteorology and an American Meteorology Certified Consulting Meteorologist, Frank Lombardo. Frank, welcome to the show. Yeah, I think you got that all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. It's a uh, lot. It is a lot, but uh, yeah, Frank Lombardo, that would have been good enough. Uh, <laughs> great to be here. Great to be here. It was great meeting you uh, a while back, and uh, um, I'm glad uh, we made some headway in the industry, and um, uh, glad to be on uh, one of your uh, podcasts. Awesome, sir. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so for starters... For those who don't know Frank Lombardo, give me the give me the backstory of um, you know kind of what what all led you up to this point where you're at now. Well, um, you know, I uh, I consider myself um, a kind of a pioneer in the um, uh, snow and ice industry, um, but my passion for weather really started in the tropics. Okay, uh, so. so think of. Think about a six-year-old boy running around the streets uh, of a New Jersey town in the middle of a hurricane in 1960, um, uh, chasing what he thought was just a fun storm, watching trees come down, and then uh, returning home uh, to my mom and dad ready to kill me because I was out in the storm. So, uh, But uh, that's when I became hooked, and um, uh, I just remember that 60-61 winter uh, was one of the worst winters we had had in New Jersey. Again, I'm I'm aging myself out here, but um, <laughs> um, I, I just became fascinated with meteorology. Uh, it was all I could talk about, think about. My friends hated me. Uh, they wanted to play baseball, and I was staring up at some clouds forming. Sure. Um, so, uh, hence, not great in the outfield. Uh, <laughs> Or, or in the infield either, but, um, but yeah, it's always been a passion. Um, it grew into a uh, profession in college. Um, uh, uh, snow and ice uh, were always my big passion, um, but I got thrown into severe weather. Uh, I um, had a, a teaching assistantship at Texas Tech University. So, oh, okay. Um, 
study tornadoes and chased a few tornadoes nice. there. I uh, didn't see any, but I, I yeah. attempted to chase them. I, okay. Again, this is this is in the uh, novel stages of uh, tornado chasing. Oh yeah. Um, you know the ca- the the cameras were huge. Um, you didn't just take out your iPhone and snap a video, but you were carrying a 24-pound uh, commercial, uh, you know, camera with the you. The camcorder. Yeah. Exactly. The huge camcorder. Um, and um, it became a profession in the 70s. Uh, I started in the aviation industry, working primarily as a briefer for corporate aviation pilots. Hated every minute of it, but I loved weather. So if the weather got exciting... I got excited. The sure. pilots weren't excited. When, no, no. When I told them, hey, yeah, you're going to be landing in 45-mile-an-hour winds and uh, zero visibility in snow. Uh, why are you so excited, Frank? Uh, oh, um, that's – but um, I got out of that, and I started uh, WeatherWorks in 1986, really dedicated myself uh, to the snow and ice industry, uh, got an early start with SIMA, um, Really made some great relationships uh, that we built um, over the last three decades with individuals uh, and companies. Um, and uh, I listened. I, I listened and I learned. Um, uh, you know, one of, one of my earliest memories of snowstorms isn't so much the snow, but it's the plow truck coming down the street in New Brunswick, New Jersey. The chains on these vehicles. Uh, would make so much noise and and the and and the snow looking out the window and watching the snowfall mm-hmm. so uh yeah always been fascinated with the industry with snow plowing um and have attended about every course that I can on de-icers and uh the only thing I haven't done is gotten behind that uh steering wheel what are you waiting <laughs> for I, you know, it's, it's, it's an obstacle I have to get over, but, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, that, that's, that's the next step. <laughs> gotcha. So what types of services, um, do you guys offer at WeatherWorks? Um, you know, I, I, I like to think that we're, um, uh, you know, leaders in the industry, um, our services primarily are snow and ice services, um, but we're year-round companies, so we have to provide services year-round. I have to generate uh, income to pay salaries year-round. Um, uh, we um, provide services to primarily snow and ice industry, and that's that includes not just snow plowing contractors, but uh, property owners. Um, uh, outdoor events uh, during the winter time, um, uh, public entities, uh, DPW, school districts, um, anyone and anything that's affected by snow and ice and that can be helped um, with um, uh, a, a higher level of information. Um, uh, sometimes we're mitigating damage, sometimes we're improving profits. Um, so it depends on the client. Um, uh, but insurance industries um, that rely on our data uh, for developing insurance products. Um, so, again, the snow and ice industry drives about 80% of our revenue. And warm season weather uh, drives about 20% of it. 
Okay. Um, so what's, there's a lot of professional weather services out there, um, that provide a service. So what are the differences between weather works and the field? Um, well, I mean, a, a big difference is that we still focus most of our efforts on human-created products, uh, human quality control products. Um, do we have automation in our products? Absolutely. If we didn't, we'd be stupid. It, it, it would not be a smart uh, business move. Um, so there's, there's automation in our products, um, but there's a lot of innovation. When we innovate a product, we spend two years researching it. We spend two years studying it, uh, getting feedback. Uh, uh, our competitors seem to be throwing things out left and right every, every couple months. So during the last 10 years, there has been um, a large increase in the competitive field. Um, it's difficult for us to be quiet about it and not aggressive about it but we maintain i guess we we you know we we we, we're committed to no gimmicks okay no hype uh our forecasts are very conservative um um we don't scare you into loving us um we 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 can tell i can tell you that we will help your business grow (laughs) We will help your business grow. A competitor may not. You may get something less expensive. Um, uh, But we've got um, a price point for both the small um, mom and pop um, snow plowing outfit that has uh, two or three trucks uh, and and the national company that might be servicing, you know, five, six thousand properties. Um, uh, And I'm proud of that because we've We've not forgotten the little guy, okay? Uh, it's, it's, it's those small accounts that got me started in the business. It was the need uh, of a few road departments near um, in, in the North Jersey area that uh, coaxed me into staying up 24 hours a day so that I could, they could consult with me. Yeah. Uh, why I ever accepted that challenge, I don't <laughs> know, but uh, I, it, it's, it's the passion behind the blindness, you know? Um, that, that, that drives you. Um, so, um, uh, again, the last 10 years, we have seen um, much more c- uh, competitive uh, landscape out there. But I think the industry has as well in general. Uh, and, and I like competition because we can showcase our products better. Um, sometimes it becomes a challenge convincing someone that, hey, yeah, we're, you're not comparing apples to apples. Um, um, but in most cases, we can, we can do that. And I'm not here to have everyone be our client, uh, only the ones that really, you know, appreciate our product, like our product, and think it could be useful for them. So you mentioned the small guy, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask is, you know, what kinds of solutions do you offer to the smaller snow contractor? Because... I deal with a lot of those types of contractors in my line of work. And, you know, it's something where there's not a lot of them out there that's actually using a weather service. I mean, they don't get me wrong. Of course, you know, they're going to all the local weather outlets and, and, and whatever is available 
um, online, you know, to, to be able to help them out. Um, but to me, it's just so much easier to work with, you know, one set provider um, to, to, to have all those answers and someone that you know is watching your back. So what's something, you know, what, what are some solutions you guys offer the, the small guy? Uh, I think the, uh, the, the, what I try to convince a, a startup company, and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult um, because the, the funds just aren't there. There's limited funds for, for these extra services or for advertising or, you know, uh, and it's owner operator is wearing many hats. Um, um, but I think what the, the, the first thing we try to do is convince them that they need good snow and ice metrics. Okay. Get good data, rely on good data and, and show that to your customers. Show your customers that you're relying on good data. Data is fairly inexpensive compared to live consultation. Uh, and we have many clients. Uh, in fact, I, I spent an hour and a half on the phone with the client yesterday that spends $149 a year with us, okay? Most of my competitors would, would tell me I was nuts to do that. Um, but I look at this guy and he's, he's very interesting because I thought by now he'd be further along and he's not, he hasn't grown as much as I thought he should. Uh, but I finally convinced him to spend a couple more hundred dollars on another product that we have. Uh, and, you know, I want this, this company to become a two or $3,000 a year account eventually. Um, uh, but there are many of those smaller accounts. We just start them with data. Buy the data first. Tell your clients that, hey, we provide this third-party data or this is the best data in the industry. We'll help them sell it if they have to. Um, but buy the data. Spend a couple of $100. Make sure you have um, um, good climate data for your site and not uh, airport data that might be 10 or 20 miles away. Um, uh, and and then rely on one on one of the weather apps. Um, the suggestion I usually make is rely on one of the weather apps. Don't rely on five or six of them because that eats up your time and you become confused. And uh, there are some contractors uh, that I've met that uh, think that the more apps they have downloaded, the the the, the better resources of weather they have in their back pocket. Uh, but that just makes it more confusing. So. Um, um, I think the third-party verification um, is is probably um, the biggest resource that I can offer for a startup company, um, and that you know it's like a couple hundred dollar cost, um, um, but helping helping them get some business, helping them win a bid, um, is probably the best thing we can do for them. Sure. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I mean, the more value outside of just, you know, typical weather you're able to offer, um, this is great for everybody all the way around. It's a win-win. Um, okay. So when you talk snow in the Midwest, um, especially in Indiana where I'm from, the first thing they're going to say is we haven't had much snow in the last five or six years here. Um, 
And then they will allude to, without you even pressing or asking any more questions, they will allude to the blizzard of 1978 as the, you know, the hallmark of storms out here. And so 1978 predates me. Um, and, you know, I, I just hear all these stories all the time of, you know, there was, you know, major drifts and everything was shut down for like two weeks. And it's honestly hard for me to imagine, um, not so much being shut down, but that snow. Cause when you look at the numbers of that storm, I don't know, to me, they weren't astronomical. They were not um, astronomical. The snow, the snow depths were not, not yeah. in that storm. Um, but everything else was. And so I, in, in your opinion, what made that so crippling to the Midwest area? Well, there were two things that happened. First of all, um, this storm starts developing in the, um, I remember the storm. I remember the storm. It was, I got married in 1977 in the summer. And there were two snow events that became memorable in 1978. Different winters. One in the Northeast and Boston market, February 6th and 7th, 1978. And then one in the following winter, um, in, um, or wait a second, was it March? No. Um, that was January. It was the month before, right. So, um, yes, yeah, sir, they were both, they were a month apart. I, was th I thought it was in December, but it was in January. And I forget the date, uh, but in January 1978, um, uh, the, uh, the blizzard in the Midwest. Now, the blizzard in the Midwest started out, um, didn't look that bad um, three days before, uh, but it it was a storm that started be developing in the New Orleans area. And it gathered this moisture from the Gulf of Mexico and looked like a hurricane as it moved north. So it was the intensity of the storm that became memorable. I mean, there were more lines on that weather map around that low pressure than I had ever seen at that point. And it looked like a hurricane moving north. Um, uh, the east coast, mostly rain from that storm. Uh, but from about Cleveland west, it was snow. And uh, the snow mounts were not crazy. They were typically... 10 to maybe 18 inches in that range. They weren't uh, crazy. But the pressures were the lowest ever recorded. And I, I still think they hold the record. They're the lowest pressure ever recorded. Wow. Um, in, in like Cincinnati and Cleveland and in Indianapolis and um, Dayton and Columbus. Uh, uh, Cleveland had 90 mile an hour winds with this storm. Now, think, think about snow and then because it was so intense, it drove down this Arctic air behind it. So there was this wet snow that fell, uh, uh, followed by, you know, this super deep freeze, 80, 90 mile an hour winds. And um, I remember the photos, uh, people walking on top of cars in Columbus, okay, because the streets were totally covered uh, and drifts were like, I don't know, 18 feet. 
19 feet. So yeah, for anyone my age out in the Midwest, they remember that storm. Now, on the other hand, on the East Coast, the following month was the February 6th, 7th storm. Now, I personally remember that because as a meteorologist, I wanted to go outside into it. Newly married, I say to my wife, we're living in an apartment, second floor, and um, I say, let's walk to the bakery. There's a bakery a block away. Now, we're walking in the middle of this blizzard to the to a bakery because uh, I wanted to be out in the snow. Meanwhile, all my other, the rest of my neighbors are shoveling their parking spots out and fighting over whose spot, who, where to park their cars. Um, and um, yeah, that storm, very similar to the Midwest storm, actually developed an eye over Nantucket. And um, if, if, if any one of our listeners researches that storm, you, you'll be able to find a photo, I'm sure, because I've seen the photo hundreds of times. Uh, it looks like a hurricane over Nantucket because the center, it's clear. There are no clouds in the center. So it looks like a, an eye of a hurricane and this big spiral around it. Very intense storm. Um, those were probably two of the biggest storms I've ever you know, witnessed uh, in my lifetime. There were others, 96, 93. Um, uh, and, you know, I always hear... Um, oh, it doesn't snow like it used to snow. And yeah, there's been a little lapse in the Midwest. The Northeast had a storm a couple of Februarys ago, 30 inches, um, northeastern PA, lower Hudson Valley, parts of New Jersey, um, parts of Maryland, uh, two and a half feet of snow. Um, uh, February 1st, 2nd, 3rd storm, I think it was 2021. That was uh, Winter Storm Gale? I don't know what the name of it was okay i don't know what the name of it was because i don't i don't pay attention to the uh, yeah no uh, it, it, it's names. i was gonna say it's a weather channel you know yeah, ploy and, um, to get viewers but yeah so i don't remember what name they gave it but um uh it could have been it could have been um uh, but that was a huge storm and, and there have been others um um you know through the through the 80s and 90s um and early 2000s um, it was a very large Boxing Day storm. Um, Chicago had a large storm about four or five years ago. So it the snow is not over. It's still it's still coming. We're you know it's still part of our climate, <laughs> even though some claim that you know it's it's snowing less. Snowfall averages. Some parts of the country have gone up. Some parts of the country have gone down. So if a similar storm. To 1978 happened again now in 2022-2023. Do you think it has the same devastating impacts that it did um, 50 years ago? Or do you think we've come far enough in both forecasting and uh, snow management where it would be a uh, much more favorable outcome? Cities wouldn't be shut down for weeks at a time. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, we definitely have improved the science of snow and ice clearing. Um, there's no question about that. Um, but there are still limits to what we do. And you know that no matter how fast you're plowing, 
if it's coming down at three inches an hour, it's going to get ahead of you. Um, yes. And, um, uh, you know, that happened during the February 1st storm uh, here a couple of years ago. Um, when we were getting three and four inch an hour rates, um, you just can't keep up with that. So there, there's still limitations. I think equipment is, has improved, has, has become more efficient. Uh, the, the icing materials and, and the fact that we do a lot of anti-icing now um, uh, certainly has uh, improved um, uh, the ability to remove snow from roadways and, and creating that brine solution, which we didn't do in the 70s. And, you know, our, that particular storm in 78, they were driving over packed snow for at least a week. And I'm talking on Route 70, uh, on, on, you know, uh, not just like county roads or I'm talking about the, high, the state roads. Sure. Um, or 76, whatever one goes through Ohio. I forget which one. Is it 70 or 76? So you'd have, um, yeah. well, yeah, 70. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, th- those roads were, were, were closed. Not closed necessarily. They were probably closed for a while. Uh, but they were just packed uh, with this um, snow cover that had become bonded to the pavement that the plows were just sliding over because they weren't putting down any, they weren't pre-salting, they weren't putting any material down beforehand. It got away from them. And um, it took a week to, you know, clear those roads in some places. Um, That happened, that happened in the Northeast during the 93, 94 winter as well. Um, You know, you have a storm and then two days later, it's 15 below zero. Um, That snow just becomes packed if it's, if you don't have material underneath it. Um, so I, I think we're better off, but those are unusual storms. They would still be challenging. I don't want to give anyone the impression that, ah, yeah, it's a cakewalk. It's not. Right. mile an hour winds. Yeah, no, it's just something I always thought about, you know, wondering, um, you know, how it would measure up with today's technology and stuff. But like you said, you know, it's just kind of a perfect storm that was created anyway. And that's, you know, really why it was so bad. Um, so kind of turning to the other kind of phenomenon we have here in the Midwest, um, you know, the, the severe weather, uh, tornadoes, um, have you ever had the opportunity to chase? I mean, you, you mentioned that, um, going to school in, in, in Texas, um, but what was that like, you know, chasing storms down there? Well, it was um, at the really at the beginning of the storm chasing um, culture. It it wasn't a fad uh, back then. Um, we had um, uh, normal vehicles um, uh, chasing storms with very little technology at our hands. Um, in fact, you know what the technology was that we had um, What's in, that? In, in, in Texas. Um, uh, in, the, in the plains, in the South Plains, uh, every mile there's a crossroad. Uh, so we knew that a mile north of here we can make a left or a right, yep. dirt road or paved road. And, um, and we knew where all the phone booths were. So we could stop and call the weather service and say, how's the radar look? I've got this <laughs> cell I'm looking at. Because it, 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 when you're chasing a thunderstorm producing cloud, um, the thunderstorm doesn't always behave 
exactly the same, but there are characteristics that typically occur. So the best we could do in the 70s was, we, if we saw a thunderstorm, we know our best luck was to be in the south trailing quadrant of the tornado, of the thunderstorm. So if the th tornado was moving toward the northeast, we would approach it from the south and we would be in the southeast quadrant. That's where a tornado would drop down if it were to occur. Um, but <laughs> we're not following minute by minute the movement of this storm. We're visually watching it. So, so it was a, it was a futile process. Uh, let me say, that I never saw a tornado in the plains. Uh, two months after I was done at Texas Tech, my professor um, mailed me a, a video. Now, when I say mailed me a video, I didn't say emailed me. Uh, he mailed me <laughs> right. a VCR tape, a huge commercial size VCR tape with this video of a tornado that they finally filmed uh, that was three miles away. Um, it's still a close distance, but three miles away. Now they're 600 yards away or sure. a mile away. Um, but uh, all, all, all good. Um, all good regarding that. Yeah. So, I mean, nowadays they have like storm tours you can take and um, oh, go out to, you know, Kansas or um, Oklahoma, Arkansas and you know, spend a week or two with uh, with a storm chasing crew where they try to put you in um, those types of situations to see storms. And I've kind of joked with my wife about it, you know, saying we ought to make that a vacation uh, at some point to get some time off in the spring and go out there um, to the plains. I think that'd be pretty awesome. I, you know, that I think that would be great. Um, I um, have uh, three or four Midwestern meteorologists that work for me um, here at Weatherworks um, that have been on chasing teams mm -hmm. uh, at their various universities that have filmed tornadoes, that have seen them. Um, uh, you know, the technology is so great these days that um, uh, you, you, will, you, you will likely see one if you're out there a week chasing storms. Yeah, now they yeah. they might they they're driving eight hundred miles a day sometimes. <laughs> hey, I'm used to that anyway. That's that's that's, that's my normal nine to five. So, yeah, yeah, I'm um, good with that part of it. But um, yeah, um, we um, we 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 have clients uh, in the Midwest that are prone to severe weather that we have to monitor. We have clients uh, in the East. Uh, we work for a lot of. Um, uh, large venues, uh, some sports teams um, mm. that are sensitive to lightning or severe weather sure. that we yeah. monitor for them. Um, so we we, we do um, we've got a couple severe weather experts on the staff, uh, and um, I've learned I've learned a lot from them. What's nice about the staff is uh, meteorology is one of those it's one of those professions that once you get the bug. It's really, you don't lose the bug. And yeah. it's great watching um, 10 or 15 individuals uh, at, when a cloud's approaching our office and they're all at the window and all you mm -hmm. see is their backsides all looking out going, I think I see it. I think I see some circulation. I think I see it spinning. 
And I'm, yeah. I'm looking and go, I think you're, you're all dreaming. <laughs> Nothing's happening. <laughs> well, it's funny because when you're out there and, and you're watching the clouds, you're, you're really hoping that you see it and, and right, right. kind of you talk yourself into it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I've always been fascinated with weather myself and some of the stories that you talk about, about, you know, Paying, paying more attention to the storm and anything else that's happening, you know, um, especially when you're there on the ground and, and you can see it. Um, yeah, that actually resonates with me pretty well. Yeah. And um, it, I mean, it, it pumps up the adrenaline, but, and yeah. then afterwards I go, why did I do that? You know, <laughs> right, um, right. I'm not, I'm not a risk taker when it comes to anything except weather. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So really enjoyed having you on today. Um, one more question I'll ask before I let you go. Sure. And it's a question that I ask every guest that comes on. So uh, what advice would you give to uh, people that are earlier in their journey than what you are, uh, specifically like the younger generation? And it doesn't I, um, have to be about weather, just anything. Well, Really, you know, for me, it was just following my passion. Um, I know a lot of people these days follow the money. Uh, don't follow the money. Follow your passion. The money may or may not come, but you'll be happier if you've followed your passion. Um, uh, I was fortunate. Uh, I worked hard. Um, I've always loved what I've done. Uh, and for 20 years of my life, I probably did it in the red. Um, okay. Um, now I, my wife supported me and, uh, she had a teaching job, but follow the passion first, make sure you love what you do. Uh, and, um, and, and ho hopefully the, the economics will turn out for you as well. Yeah. No, but that's great advice. You got to be happy. Um, yeah. that's, that's the number one thing, but, Thank you so much for joining us today, Frank. And um, we will be right back to wrap up this episode. That was Frank Lombardo, president and CEO of Weatherworks Meteorology Consulting. We thank him so much and the Weatherworks team for being a partner. They are a magnificent partner. Couldn't ask for a better partnership with the Weatherworks team. Bravo, um, What'd you say? I said, bravo, fellas. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're about to sign off here for this episode. Before we do, we want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. And a Happy Hanukkah. And please continue to support the show. Uh, so thankful for the support we've gotten so far. Uh, we can now say we have thousands of listeners uh, which never really thought we'd be able to say. Um, so really happy to see the show's momentum continue to carry on. Um, next week, we will be joined again by Chris Kelly. Uh, cannot wait to have him back on. He was a great conversation last time. And please don't forget to uh, subscribe and to follow, like, share, tweet, Instagram, all those, all those hip things. And if you're a yeah, crazy old all that man, stuff. use AOL Messenger. <laughs> all right. Until next week. Thanks for listening to The Industry, a show built by the working class for the working class. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. 
While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review.